Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Inside Music. I'm your host, James Shoutwell, and on this week's episode, we're speaking with Under the Gun editor, Matthew Limecooler. I've known Matthew for a number of years now, but to be honest, I recently realized he never gets the kind of attention he deserves. I know if you've listened to the podcast before, you've probably caught up on the fact that we like to highlight the people who kind of work behind the scenes in the industry. And I, that doesn't just include the bloggers who run sites. It also includes the people who help those sites stay alive. I started a music website when I was in college that still exists today. But the only reason it's able to continue is because people like Matthew come along and help keep it alive while I'm off working jobs and doing other things in the industry. I have no doubt in my mind that he's going to excel to be something great in the years ahead, and I wanted to be one of the first people that kind of got his story on tape. Now, to be honest, what you're about to hear also involves a lot of talk about the recent loss of Wayne Static, the founding member of Static X, whom Matthew and I were both big fans of. But as a result of that conversation, we also dive into interviews and why it's important to make sure every time you sit down with somebody, you have something worthwhile to say to them. You never know when someone's interview is going to be their last, and you never know when your conversation with that person may be the last time they speak their mind on tape. Anyways, I, I'm really proud of what we've done with this episode, and as you can probably tell, I'm trying to change the way we do these introductions, so before we get to the show, we have to get to the sponsors, but I want to thank everybody who's listened to Inside Music up to this point and has put up with all of the different changes in programming and the random release dates and such. We're still getting everything worked out, but I think it's coming together. So thank you for your support, uh, we'll get to the sponsors, and then we'll get to the show. Inside Music is only made possible by Holix, the leading digital distribution platform trusted by record labels and independent artists worldwide. Whether you're looking to get your music in front of the press or you simply want help trying to fight digital piracy, Holix has the tools you need for success. For more information on Holix and the ways they can help you better your digital marketing efforts, visit www.holix.com. That's www.haulix.com. Okay, let's get to the show. You know, I'm so happy that you were able to sit down and do this with me because I was planning to record like two episodes last week and they both fell apart on me like within four hours of one another. Like one person was like, oh, I can't do it till next week. And another person was like, oh, I completely forgot about this. Can we do it in like two weeks? And I was like, well, we can, but I am so boned as far as content because I part of me depends on the podcast to happen every week because otherwise I have to like come up with something else to do. And I, I like doing right. this, so I want to do this. So I'm happy that you were like, oh, yeah, we can hop on the phone at the crack of dawn. <laughs> it doesn't bother me any. <laughs> um, so you and, yeah, I, no, that sucks, you and I have known each other for a while, but I don't actually remember like how we met. So since this is the beginning of our conversation and people out there have never actually met you, Matthew, then I guess we should maybe start there. Like, how do you remember coming across under the gun? And then like, when did we first start talking to each other? Um, I remember first joining under the gun because I connected with Jacob via Twitter and I was looking to expand the writing because I played all through college. I played in bands and I'd been a journalism major, but I'd never actually taken that initiative to write and the band broke up and there was no way that I could just, you know, walk away from music. Like there's no way ever. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, that's, that's how I came on staff and, 
feel like the rest is, you know, just kind of happened, I suppose. What time was this? Like, what do you remember when time-wise? Um, it was a couple years ago. You know, it was, um, I think I, st- our, I stopped playing in 2012 and then just shortly after in late 2012, I came on board. It seems like a long time ago. I don't know. People out there listening might not know this, but you and I have been working together pretty much every single day since that point we have talked to one another. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Yeah, it's been fun. <laughs> I, I, could, I couldn't love it more. So was that your first experience? Is, is joining Under the Gun when you first got into music writing, or were you writing for any other sites like prior to that? I know you write for your college. You write in college a little bit, so did, is maybe you wrote there? Yeah, I actually... Um... I actually started my own website for a while, which was an interesting experience because I didn't know a lot about the internal politics that that were involved, but it was a nice learning experience. But, um, yeah. And, um, shortly after that started, like I said, I connected with Jacob and he's like, well, why don't you just come, you know, join us instead? And, And so that worked out really well. But, um, yeah, I, I had actually written for Substream for a while. I had approached them and, um, had written for them for three or four months before Under the Gun happened, but that was a very, you know, very part-time commitment at the time, so. Understandable. Do you remember what the first thing you wrote about was? The first thing I wrote about? Well, it was for my college newspaper, I feel like. Um, it would have been, I was, I was the features editor at the, we had a weekly newspaper on my college campus, and, oh, man, I feel like it was the second Devil Wears Prada record, the the really good one, Plagues. I feel like that was the first review I ever did. And everyone on the staff thought I was insane, you know, with this egregious metal music in middle of nowhere, Missouri, you know, so. That is something I wanted to touch on. You're one of my favorite type of music industry people because you come from the middle of the country where so many of us begin, and you've managed to stay there while still building a name for yourself in like the international music industry. Yeah, I mean, it's not necessarily by choice. I feel like the cards just kind of fell where they did. I mean... Obviously, you know, I, I'm from Missouri. I went to college in Missouri because that's what was feasible, you know, being 18 years old. And, you know, as I, as I came up, the Internet's a beautiful thing. You know, it it made that possible. But I'm not necessarily married to staying here. I would like to stay in the Midwest. But whenever I'm done here, you know, at Iowa State, what happens happens. You know, so it's but it but it's been great to be it's OK. Let me stop it. It's. It's really easy, I feel like. It's not that's not a good way of putting it. It's it's I feel as though it's not as difficult as it might be on the coast because there's still people who are involved in music and love it, who are involved professionally in music. There are just less of them. So it's a little bit, you know, more centralized in a sense to where you can meet the right you know, you move to a city or you go to a city and you meet. 10 people involved in that music scene, you make an impression on them because there are only 10 people running that music scene for that city, you know? Yeah, and I think people really underestimate the power that those small groups can have because the more, at least through doing like the podcast and the site, I've met so many people that live in the middle of the country that have 
pull in the industry. And I think that it's important for young people to realize you don't have to move to Los Angeles or New York and you don't have to like live on the streets essentially in order to like cut your teeth in the business. Like you've managed to do it while also having another career. Well, certainly, yeah. And and you could even argue argue that about, you know, you didn't move to New York, so you moved to Boston, which is probably almost looked at as, as a little brother to New York in terms of the music industry, you know, where it doesn't, you don't, there's opportunity everywhere in the digital age, I feel like, you know. No, definitely. I, I always have people come up to me and be like, so Boston, like, what is going on there? <laughs> you know, like, why? Oh, right. No, totally. Everything Imagine happens living in, in Des Moines, Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they probably just ask yeah. you when Slipknot's coming to town. Mm. <laughs> right, Totally. Um, so you do live in Iowa now, which is funny because I we haven't run it on the site yet, but I just interviewed Tom and Tracy George, who are also Middle of America people. I'm, I have an Iowa yeah. I, I have an Iowa theme going on right now through the Holics. That's funny. Efforts. Yeah, that's um, awesome. So what what exactly is your role at the college you work at? Because I know that you touched on it, but most people probably aren't familiar with what you do. Yeah, certainly. So I graduated, um, I finished my undergrad degree in May 2013, and I didn't feel as though I was really 100% professionally prepared to enter the job market, so to say. At least, I I mean, I could have, but it might have been a a rough experience. Um, And I'd applied at some grad schools and um, toured a few grad schools, and I ended up at Iowa State. They they gave me the best offer both professionally and educationally. So here I am in Iowa, and my job um, I work on campus as a communications assistant in one of the PR offices. It's great PR experience in the sense that I get to write press releases, I get to do social media, I get to do online content, things like that. So now that's a lot. That's like a heavy workload in addition to all of the duties you have for UTG, which we haven't really gotten into yet, but. Could you kind of give us like a little idea, like how do you balance it all? Like what's a, what's a typical day? This is a Monday for you right now. So what's your Monday like? Well, today's a, a, a very busy Monday. I'm very, I'm always behind. <laughs> I always feel like I'm a few days behind. Let's put it that way. Um, today I got up this morning and I hit a few, uh, I hit a print deadline before we got on the phone and and then we're going to talk, and then I'm going to go and do my hours at my day job, and I'll leave there in the afternoon and head to the library and do writing at the library. I like to go. I don't. I don't work well in my apartment, so I like to go to public places to do writing and to to answer emails, things like that. So, yeah, it'll. Yeah, and I'll go until about 8 p.m. and come home and watch The West Wing and do it all again tomorrow. That's interesting. I never thought about where people work that's something that i don't really cover too much on the site but that is yeah yeah it's 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 i am so bad about when i get home it's like man all i want to do is is eat a big old thing of greasy food and take a nap and it's like i can't do that if i do that it's it's over you know the day's over so you just got to stay ahead (laughs) i take it that that probably took a lot of trial and error to figure out yeah, no, it took a lot of days of eating big lunches and taking lots of naps to realize I got to stop doing this. I, I have the same issue, though. I mean, I'm able to work from home for Holix, but like, if I'm not careful, like, I'll just piss away an entire day doing nothing. Oh, certainly, <laughs> certainly, yeah, definitely. It's you know, and that's what the, I read. A, I read part of a book. I didn't finish it, but I read part of a book. Um, 
I just I, I I don't remember the title exactly. I believe it's called um, "A Generation in Our Underpants," and it's about you know how our generation, a lot of them, do work remotely. So it was it was very interesting. It was about a guy who who worked um, for WordPress. Oh actually. wow! And yeah, it was, it was it was interesting just about the whole dynamic of it. And yeah, again, it all comes back to technology. It does. I mean, it's strange because I'm, Matt, the guy that runs Holix, he likes to like go to the gym and stuff. So his work schedule is like he wakes up, does some email, does some like supportive stuff, goes to the gym, comes back, does some stuff, goes out and like runs some errands, comes back. And I'm much more the guy who's like, I have to sit down and like work my six hours and then I go off and do other stuff because if I take that break, I might never come back. <laughs> oh, definitely. And here's the thing is that you know, I'll I'll be given certain circumstances. I can you know work my my day job from home as well. You know because what I do I could do remotely, and those are the days that I get the most work done. You know, it's not the days in the office where there's ten people in the office and everybody's talking, and you know you're like I can't focus. You know, all these people are talking to me about stuff that I don't want to talk about, and you know it's the days where you know you get home or you get to a a coffee shop or a library or whatever it might be and you're behind the computer for six hours and you're like wow i just got more done in one day than i did in a week last week so yeah those those are great but they're also so frustrating because then i'm like why can't i just be this productive all the time <laughs> right <laughs> yeah certainly are you a are you a list guy like how do you keep your stuff in order do you make to-do lists oh man yeah no i should you know, considering all the interviews I do between all the, the writing and my day job, I should do a calendar, but I just, I wake up in the morning and I know what I need to do that, that I need to, you know, cut and dry black and white need to get done by the end of the day. I make that list and I mark it off as I go. I think that's a good way to go about it. I'm the same way. Like literally before we started this, I sat down and wrote like a Monday to-do list. So the first thing was like, call Matthew. <laughs> So that way I can at least cross yeah, I can cross one off right away and then be like, Alright, so I'm getting stuff done. <laughs> yeah, that's right, list. definitely. Um, you know, something that made me wanna hop on the call with you and a lot of people might not know this yet, but it was a pretty tragic weekend in the world of rock and roll. We lost Wayne Static, mm-hmm. someone both you and I have adored and admired for a long time, lead singer of Static X, and we don't know why he died yet, but it, it doesn't look good. And you came to me on the night that it broke. Like you, you were probably the first person to get the story up, which is kind of incredible considering how big of a story it is. Yeah, no, I was, I was. First off, it is very tragic and not not the type of thing that I want to write about on a Saturday evening. But yeah, no, I had a a night in on Saturday where I was just finishing up watching a few Halloween films, you know, celebrating as much of the holidays was left in. Um, I was heading into bed and I checked Twitter and I saw it pop up. It said two minutes ago, you know, when static passes away at 48 and, and I was like, no, this has to be some kind of hoax or a joke or something. And, but no, it was a, it was a press release and I went with it and here we are. Yeah. No, it sucks. It does suck. And then as you and I were talking about it, we realized that you might be the last, if not one of the last people who ever really got to interview him in like a professional setting. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I don't know if I, I'm, I'm certainly one of the last because on his 15-year um, anniversary tour of Wisconsin Death Trip, I interviewed him on one of the last days of that tour, and I don't know if he had done 
any press leading up to this tour that he was supposed to leave on this week is the thing. I don't know if there's anything floating out there, but I think that I was the last interview from, from that tour. So it's got to be one of the last. When did you, when was that? Uh, it was either, the, I need to go back and look at my notes. I haven't yet because it's kind of eerie. I don't want to go back and, I want to <laughs> go back and listen to the to the recording, but I don't. Yeah. You know, so um, it was at the very end of May or at the very beginning of June. Yeah. Okay. So that's, but that's still not that long ago. That's that's pretty recent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Certainly. It's so surreal. I don't think I don't know that I've ever interviewed somebody that has since passed. And I, and you know what I what I love is that I've read your interview. I read it when it came out, and then I read it again when you like brought it up to me. And I, you obviously didn't know this at the time, but you made it a point to like make this interview count because you ask a lot of like important questions that we might not have had answers to if someone hadn't put them out there. Right. Yeah. And yeah. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say specifically. No. You ask him about what he feels his legacy is, or if he feels like he has a legacy in the world of rock, which is something that like I ask myself about all of my favorite musicians almost constantly, and I'm sure that that's a question on everyone's mind right now. Yeah, certainly. That was a question that that you should take credit for because you were the one who who put me up to asking. It was not something that I considered. That was. (laughs) Uh, oh. if you remember the conversation so kudos to you as well <laughs> I, I don't remember that but thank you <laughs> yeah no certainly um, that that was one that, that came with a little um, influence certainly <laughs> but um, yeah no i glad I circumstance sucks but, but it's good that, that that's out there on record I do want to talk to you about your interview style because I think like this is a perfect example of why people should never take interviews for granted because I know in my experience like I get offered interviews all the time that I have to say no to or just don't respond to because I feel like I don't really have anything interesting to say and I don't want to waste an interview like my time or somebody else's time asking them like what are their favorite things to do when they're bored on the road and it seems like with yeah. this Wayne Static interview, it'd be very easy for people to be like, "So you're this aging, you were, you are, were this aging rock guy. You have this influential history and stuff." But you, you kind of took it a step further. Like you definitely tried to make this interview and your other interviews that I've seen a lot more personal and a lot more like hard hitting. So I wondered, like, what's your method for your interviews? Do you spend time researching? Does it off the top? What, what's going on? It's definitely important to make it worthwhile. You know, it's just, like you said, there's just, so, there's so much noise, you know, in in the media, in the industry. There's so much crap out there that it's like, how are you going to filter through the muck, you know, through the grime? And, and it's a matter of really, the one thing that I try to do when I'm going into an interview with a, a band or an artist, who has a lot of press? Who's on a on a on a record run or something like that? It's a matter of looking at those other interviews and being like, "All right, so how can I follow up to the good stuff and cut out the crap?" <laughs> you know? So, so, um, and yeah, and there's and there's whenever you get in the box with that artist, there's a technique to it. You always warm up with something that that is, is easy to talk about, and then you you get into the interview a little bit more. But yeah always do your research always know the artist you can get a good interview out of an artist you have never listened to before if you do your research you know so definitely do you spend a lot of time do you spend a lot of time researching other interviews i'm not a kind of guy that likes to read a ton of other interviews but i try to like at least twitter to see like what the latest headlines were to make sure i'm not recovering those things 
Um, I'll read. Um, I'll I'll watch if I'm doing research. I'll watch some YouTube interviews and I'll read a, a few. You know, uh, like I. I just want to make sure that I don't want to hit on the same questions over and over again, so I'll definitely read it what was asked. I might not filter through word for word, but I'll try and hit on it. If there's, if I get three or four interviews deep and it's like, all right, this stuff, I, I know what I need to talk about. I know what I don't need to talk about, and I'll go from there. Okay, okay, I like that. I like that. Have you? I Do you even have an idea how many interviews you've done at this point? Hundreds. Hundreds. <laughs> yeah, I did... Because um, I do a lot of whenever I run exclusives and premieres on under the gun, I'll do a lot of quick three, four question Q and A's mm-hmm. uh, via email with the artist, just to get the artist a better, to get the reader a better idea of what this artist is about, what they're hearing. You know, because a lot of it's unsigned music that you're introducing to the readership. So, um, yeah, it's it's. I think I did in 2013. I did close to 100. So I haven't counted this year yet, but, you know, I probably have done an equal amount this year. So, yeah, a couple hundred. I love that. I think it'd be cool if we could find a way to... I'd love to be able to, like, take all of them out, like, all of them out individually and then kind of put them together in a comprehensive, like, collection of all of your interviews. Because you do a ton, and it'd be kind of nice to... I need to make a portfolio. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good place to start. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's been on the to-do list for about a year so it, it took no. me like six, yeah it's been it's been a lot i think it took me six years to start my portfolio so it's okay like if it takes you a there while you go. it's always one of those things that like you know you need to do but at the same time like is as important as it i feel it is to have like a place that you know kind of focuses just on you and what you've done at the same time i'm always like but i could keep creating new stuff like why right <laughs> spend, exactly spend all this time digging like, through the back no, totally. It's like um, what I said earlier, where it's like I feel like I'm always a few days behind. It's like when I get caught up, finally, you know, after six months of being a few days behind, it's like, why the hell would I want to spend my few days of relaxing, building a website, you know? So, but it's going to come to that. You know, grad school doesn't last forever, so <laughs> it will come to that eventually. I drug my feet on it for so long, and I still do. Like, I, I update it once a month. Like, there'll be that one night a month where I'm like, I guess I could add the last four weeks' worth of things I've written to my website. <laughs> and then you're like, holy crap, this is like this is what I do. <laughs> this yeah. is so much stuff. Oh, that's the that's the crazy part. Like, especially, like, the last couple of months, you and I and Brian and the other people at our sites, particularly all sites, actually, I feel like have really been increasing the amount of features they do, which happens every fall. But, like, when you stop and you look back, it's like, oh, I wrote 15 features last month on top of, what, 50 to 100 news articles. Yeah, certainly. And that's probably 20,000 words at least. That's crazy. That's a novel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what... Over the summer, I took this. I took an online course that for word, for word count. This is I took this online course. It's the history of sequential art, ideally the history of, of comics. You know, comic strips, comic books, graphic novels. Fascinating class. You know, from from front to back. Very very difficult. Actually, you think that that would be a breeze. He he really challenged you. But we had these online submissions that were due daily, and I was writing. 2,000 words for that, you know, doing a couple thousand with Under the Gun, a thousand or so at the day job, you know, here and there. And it's like, holy crap, you know, I'm doing five or six, five to 7,000 words a day. <laughs> like, like is, yeah, it'll run you into the ground. That's for sure. 
But I, I mean, I, I got to believe that it all leads somewhere. I mean, I think that's what we all do. We just kind of hope that like at some point someone's going to be like, look at these hundreds of thousands of words you've written. Here's a job. Here's a career. Yeah. And that's, you know, that is, you know, I, I don't think after all this time, I don't think anybody's going to hand it to you per se, but definitely that is, you know, that's the end goal. That's the purpose of all this to get out there and, and show your sustainability. You know, it's that it's that line on the, the my biggest pet peeve in looking for jobs is entry level position with two years of experience. You know, it's this is an entry level position, but you need one to two years of experience in the field to even be considered. So it's that, you know, it's that experience. Yeah. Filling in that blank. Those are the worst. And it doesn't get any easier because, like, I feel I've. I feel like I've been making a living in music for a while now, but even if I look at a job listing, because I do the job board for Hulk, so I, I'm looking at all of the new right. industry jobs as they pour in, and there'll be something I think looks awesome, and I'll be like, I could do that job, and it'll be like, you need seven to eight years of experience, and I'm like, how? I still don't have seven to eight years of experience. Yeah, it's all there's no uh, there's no job levels at you know at your experience or at my experience because they're all the good ones are taken, you know. It's, <laughs> It's all the director levels and the C levels and the E levels that are, you know, looking to be filled. And there's, I mean, everyone who's at that level in the music industry has probably left. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> is your is your long term goal still to work in the music industry? Or do you just want to write? Is it specific? Yeah, it's you know, there's there's two routes. I and people, you know, people ask me this a lot. You know, being a grad student, there's two routes I'd want to take. I'd either want to find a way to write about music, entertainment, lifestyle, professionally, whether it's a, a all-weekly newspaper in a, in a metro area or, you know, whatever that, that might be, or a magazine or a, a website, you know, whatever medium that might be, or to, to go over into the other realm of things and go into publicity. So. Yeah, you have been getting your feet wet with publicity through this new job, and you seem to like it. Yeah, yeah, it's I, I, I really do. Yeah, it's and I mean the great thing about um, my day job is uh, I should say my day job is that you know you're working with um, the best of of you know in the world at what they do with these professors who do state of the art research to you know better the world. You know, mm-hmm. I, I cover, I write about kinesiology, you know, human health, and I write about human development and. Um, I write about hospitality management, three different really diverse topics, so it keeps things interesting. Oh, wow. Yeah, I actually did not... I guess I, I know what you do, but I didn't really have a full grasp of like the kinds of things you write about. Yeah, there, yeah. It's, I, I write for... So with Iowa State, Iowa State's a huge university. There's like 35,000 students. So within the university, there's... I, I believe this... I should not be talking about this. This is terrible. <laughs> I know because I don't... I, I know what I do, but I don't know Iowa State very well. I'm pretty sure there are seven colleges within the university. And I work for one of the colleges, and I cover a third of the departments within one of the colleges. So, so I cover three different departments. That is micromanaged to an extreme. <laughs> it's it's very decentralized. It is. I think but, that, that's good, you know, though. They, they make it work. Yeah, they make it work, right? There's that old adage you always hear about those who can't do teach, and I always feel like in the music industry it goes those who can't perform blog and those who get tired of blogging go into publicity. Yep, yep, probably, yeah. 
I mean, all the all the you know, great publicists I know, that's where they started in blogging, and then eventually they were like, "Oh, I can make money yeah. at this if I just become the publicist." Yeah, yeah. No, certainly, and I I don't blame them for a second. <laughs> I you know I mean can you? <laughs> no, I can't. It's like you have this you have this this built skill set, and you want to do something with it that you know it's not you know you want financially getting at it. I mean, who wouldn't? This is the only, you know, it's this way with, with digital journalism in general. It is the only field where you can go and get, you know, a bachelor's or a master's degree of education and be asked to do something without compensation, you know, unless you're like a social worker, I guess, you know, unless you know you're, unless you're knowingly going into that type of field. Yeah. You know, you don't go and get a degree in biochemics and be asked to, to you know, cure cancer for free. It's true. I, 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 I don't know if, if biomechanics cures cancer. I don't even know what biomechanics <laughs> is. But it sounds for fancy. the record. <laughs> no, but I completely understand but. what you're coming from. Like, you could be the smartest person coming out of college, but you're likely going to start making no money and doing nothing related to actually engaging with the music industry. <laughs> yeah, certainly. Yeah, and that's always that's a frustrating thing, and it's interesting that you're now you're a part of the collegiate system, though you're not an educator, but you're part of the college system, and you still have that viewpoint where you're like, it's weird that like we nurture these students and then we release them into the world without them having a place to go necessarily. Certainly, yeah. Does Iowa but, State? I mean, it, it, it is... Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I, I didn't have anything substantial oh. there. Sorry. Uh, I was going to ask if Iowa State has a music business program. No, not at all. I think there's only one college in the Midwest outside of Chicago, maybe, that has one, one university. But I, I went, I kind of, not music business per se. I was actually an audio engineering undergrad, so... So what what was young Matthew's dream career when he entered audio engineering? Oh, good look. Well, I did that. It's funny because I it was it was in the mass media department. It was a audio emphasis in broadcast under broadcasting. And I that's a good question. I I knew that I could never cut it working in a studio because I'm not because you have to be a good musician to produce music and that's something I'm never going to be you know <laughs> I came to terms with that a long time ago in high school but um yeah I don't know I knew that I always wanted to, to find a place in the industry and I guess I never knew what that was and at the at the school I was at that was the best option to prepare myself because I was getting the real world experience working for the paper and blogging et cetera, et cetera. so it's like, why not get a little bit of, of this experience in the industry as well be a renaissance man? That was probably my line of thought. Young renaissance Matthew. I like it. Renaissance Matt. <laughs> there you go. Um, I do want to talk about your role that you have now. So you're an editor for Under the Gun, and I don't think a lot of blogs appreciate that role because, like you said, it's an unpaid. You're, it's currently an unpaid position for you. But if you wanted to become a music journalist today, I think being an editor is the best way to get to that point. Would you agree? Yeah. No. Yeah. You need to go. I think the biggest problem is that, yes you need to go and get the experience go do the experience do everything you can you know street team you know write for a blog whatever it takes if you're 
18, 19, and you know that that's you're in college and you know that that's where you want to end up, certainly. And and the editorial experience is great from a managerial perspective to, to be able to discuss with, with you and with Brian to, to make those decisions and things like that. Um, but I had a bigger point there and I completely lost it. <laughs> oh, um, I think that there's a lot of, of groupthink in some of the alternative blogs and alternative websites that are out there where it's just, it's not, you know, a stellar product. And it's like, why are you, you need to go out there and you need to read good online journalism, read how New York times reviews a record, read how Rolling Stone interviews Paul McCartney, you know, do things like that and strive to be like that. And you'll just keep getting better at what you're doing, you know, whether it's an editorial or a writing perspective. So I feel as though, the people who want to come up into this industry who are younger don't read enough. You know, you need to read to be a writer. So I don't know. That's my, that's my spiel. That's my soapbox. So who are the writers that inspire you? Hunter S. Thompson. Yeah. Hunter S. Thompson. Why that? Um, he was a, I've really been on this, first-person journalism kick lately. This, the, I read this huge article that came out of Harvard EDU about this idea of first-person journalism, you know, that came up, you know, it came up in the print age, but then things like Huffington Post, and, you know, you see what Vice does really push, is pushing that particular medium, and I think his idea of gonzo journalism started it. And, you know, people think that, you know, gonzo journalism is kind of facts, but, you know, he still, there's no such thing as, as, um, objectivity in journalism. If you think there is, then you're, you know, you're, you're really, you know, naive. I suppose everybody has an agenda. Everybody always will. I feel like so. And he was the one who, you know, said, you know, he was the first one to say that, to say that you guys are being silly. If you think that there's a, there's no objectivity in journalism, you know, I'm going to make objectivity a thing and I'm going to write in first person. And, you know, I'm still going to be able to, to tell it like it is and still deliver people the information they need. And he did it ever so gracefully with his writing as well. He's a pretty good writer, I guess. I hear some people like his writing. <laughs> he's okay, I suppose. I yeah, he's a big one. Um, I'm trying to think of um, people. Th- Go ahead. Are there any like music writers, or maybe even uh, more current writers, maybe sites or bloggers that you whose writing you try to? Yeah. Read? Um, yeah, Wandering Sound. I really like Wandering Sound. I I I I like the coverage enemy does but their their writing is hit or miss for me but yeah um wondering sound is is a big one for me now they're all it's all good i'm drawing a blank but that one always comes to mind uh you know spin is they're all great writers at spin as well all fantastic writers so I think it's so important that people not only read music blogs but they find writers and Um, well sites in general that they can kind of frequent rely on because i know like as you and i have found out from running a site like it's so hard to build a dedicated audience even when you're pouring your heart into like making in-depth feature content and i feel like Mm -hmm. 
the digital age, as much as it has opened so many doors for journalists, it's also made it a lot harder for you to like forge connections with readers, at least meaningful connections, because they have as many options as you can imagine to find content. And a lot of times it's not about whether or not this site has a certain piece of content that this site doesn't. It's more like what voice do you want to deliver your content to you? Yeah, you know, developing the voice is, is such a big thing. And that's another thing that comes with young writers is that you're so lost in your voice because you don't know what your voice is. So what do you need to do to find that voice? You need to go to these established writers and read how they write and say, oh, I don't like that or oh, I do like that. And, you know, you and I mean, that's that's at the root of everything that ever was is influence. Right. You know, whether it's music or writing or film or anything. So, yeah. Well, that's great. I want to know about the future now. I mean, we're kind of moving into the third part of our conversation here. Our conversation has kind of taken like three acts, and I, I appreciate it a lot. I like when things <laughs> fall together that way. We've kind of talked about like where you are now and what's important the to you now. Act. So let's let's move into the third act, the big conclusion, resolution of it all. Like, where is what is like your five year plan right now? Do you have one? <laughs> How about one year um, plan? Can we start at one year? <laughs> well. Um... Year one is definitely to get my thesis done here at Iowa State while simultaneously looking for full-time employment. And then whatever comes from that comes from that, definitely. So it is, it is you know, is my goal is to start heavily, like really hit the ground running, looking for jobs at the, at the start of the year while simultaneously uh, I'm finishing my thesis so I can graduate in May because I'm done in the classroom in December. I'm only taking one class and I'm done in December. So I, yeah, so I'm going to be dedicating a lot of time to the job hunt, which I know you went through a couple of years ago and you know how that can be. So I definitely did. And it took uh, a lot of time working terrible jobs to find one that was good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah awesome what was your i mean have you worked any i mean you've been in this pr gig for a bit but are there some what's your worst job on this journey into music have you had to do anything you absolutely hated <laughs> here's a funny story i was telling this to my coworkers my day job. i worked at walmart for a day in college so i guess that was a pretty bad gig one day or one day they had me selling guns and as you know me me selling guns is like the you know that's ideal you know that is okay here's corporate america in one statement they hired me to sell guns anyway no yeah i worked for a day and they came back with um my schedule and i was i had class full time and then I was trying to go to shows, you know, do do things that normal college kids wanted to do, and they had me working 40 hours a week, six days a week for the next month. And I was like, hey, you know, this isn't going to work. And, and the guy said, well, you need to find a job that, um, you need to make it work or find a job that will. And so I found a job that did. Well, then. Well, that was probably the worst job. Yeah, that was probably the worst job. I mean, you probably had to go to training for that job, didn't you? Like... Yeah, no, and they were paying me pretty well. It was like 10 or 11 bucks an hour. This was, what, back in 2010 or 2011, so that was pretty good. And, yeah, I got paid for the training day, and I got paid for my one day of, of service to the world of Walmart, and I came out with like 100 bucks. <laughs> I, I worked at a telemarketing place for one day once. <laughs> 
that one day that included funny. my training and my first shift. And by the end of the first, I think I didn't even say for the whole shift. Well, I think were we, you selling or were you like working for a politician or what? No, what it was, was the premise. It was giving away free vacations for timeshares. <laughs> oh man! In Arizona, from Michigan. <laughs> so that's funny. That's you know I did. Like, you know how all these, like, sales jobs pop up on, like, career builder and stuff? Yeah. Um, I went and I interviewed for one of those, but I never actually showed up for my first day. It was right after college. Like, this was, like, May. You know, I graduate, you know, at the end of April, and this is, like, the first week of May. And I went, and I was like, what am I doing? <laughs> like, this is not this is not what needs to happen after college. And, and no, I mean, no offense to anybody who does that. For a living, but I just knew it wasn't for me right away. You know, selling direct TV subscriptions. Yeah, no, it wasn't for me either. I got out of college and I worked <laughs> at a place that sold the parts to factories that built things out of wood. So, like, they built the machines that made the things that that wood sounds like a really produced. Michigan job. It was super Michigan, and like the industry mm-hmm. that they put me in, they like, brought me on to do social media and stuff, and like. They didn't have a Twitter. They didn't have a Facebook page. So I did all that stuff. And then I realized that their competition and, like, the companies that we worked with didn't only not have websites and didn't have Twitters and didn't have Facebooks, but, like, you would still have to fax them orders or snail mail them orders because they didn't have email. Oh, wow. And I was like, this is not the industry for me. <laughs> but, that, is, that is a job. Yeah, I was like, so this that's is... A good, that's a good job interview, you know, story. Yeah. So I don't know. I I spent like seven months there, and the whole time, like every day, we would all just kind of look at each other, like I don't think this is right. Like this isn't the place for me, and I'm not interested in this. You don't seem interested in me. It was not fun, but I mean, it, it put money in my pocket long enough to get to the next job. So sometimes that's what it takes. I that's guess. right. <laughs> yeah, and I, you know, that's what I might be looking at. You know, here in a couple months, I don't know. So we'll see. Yeah, but I mean, you're being proactive, which a lot of people aren't. And a lot of people get to the graduation day and they're like, well, where are the jobs? No, I can't do that. See, <laughs> that's the cool thing about a master's is that I went through that. I went through that <laughs> once already. I know better. It's not <laughs> happening again. I went and I moved it on. You know, I went kicking and screaming, moved back into my parents' basement for three months. We are not going through that again. No, that is not going to be a thing. Uh, I can understand. I can understand. <laughs> I, I Yeah, no, I had some... Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead with what you're going to say. I had a really bad interview experience with a company right after I graduated. It was a music industry company. And that, you know, I think that everyone needs to get, like, their teeth knocked in once. <laughs> and, and and I went through that, so I'm definitely going to kind of come prepared this time around. I don't know that I've ever gotten my ass like kicked in an interview, but I have sat in an interview or even a meeting and been like, I don't understand a thing we're talking about. Like, like it's yeah. so not my world and like what I just, uh, maybe I'm in the wrong position. Like you just, one of those moments it's, where you're like, this is not the right place for me. <laughs> no, certainly, certainly. And this is, uh, this be, I'll tell this story because this is great for, you know, anybody who listened to, once who is on the brink of going and searching for jobs, things like that. Um, I went, it was a company, I'm not going to say the name of the company, it was a company, but it was a music company based out of Chicago that, um, I did three phone interviews and they called me up. They wanted a fourth interview. They wanted me to come to Chicago, meet in person with their marketing director. This was for 
a social media digital marketing type position and meet their CEO. And um, so I went up there. It's in this beautiful neighborhood in Chicago. You know, it's it's June in Chicago, so I'm falling in love. You know, just head over heels. It's just just um, in the Lakeview neighborhood, if you're familiar with um, Chicago. And I get to the interview. I'm doing really well with the marketing director. I'm going blow for blow with him. You know, he's asking me all these tough questions. I feel like I'm giving good answers. The CEO walks in. We shake hands. He sits down. And he starts grilling me. Just so, 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 so tough grilling me. You know, asking me. First thing he sits down is he says, so you're not from Chicago. No, I'm from Kansas City, Missouri. So, you know, I would say Kansas City makes it easier. And and he's like, well, I don't like hiring people from out of town because it's harder for them to adapt in the office. It's like, oh, so this is going to be one of those interviews. And um, we get to this question where he goes, it was for a website. And he goes, have you ever bought or sold anything on my website? And I said, no, sorry, I just graduated college. I haven't had the means to buy or sell anything. He slams his hand on the table, goes, have a nice day, and walks out the door. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. That, so, is a, that is a great bad job interview story. Yeah, so, and I, um, oh, man, I almost cried. It was so upsetting. I just, I was supposed to go out with friends that night and spend the night, the rest of the night in the city. I got on the train, got to my car drove straight home i was home by like six o'clock like it's like five or six hour drive oh that's 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 depressing (laughs) yeah no it was it it was eye-opening you know to get you know to go in and i don't know that guy's maybe just an asshole but was that a job that like you really wanted or was it just like i i wanted it it was a job that i really wanted because of the company because of the location you know, all, all of the factors lined up. But when I got there and I realized how much of a monster that CEO was, that's not a person you want to work for anyway, you know? So at the time I really, really wanted it. And I was really heartbroken for about a week. You know, I was really just down in the dumps, but you know, like it's in hindsight, it's like, why would you want to work for a person, you know, who acts like that anyway? No, I completely agree. I had a similar interview um, experience. <laughs> elitist. Yeah. <laughs> I had a I had a similar experience in Chicago with a different company who is known for <laughs> running the streets of Chicago or were at one point. <laughs> I think I know. Yeah. Most, uh, yeah. Most people will know. I think I know what you're talking about, but yeah, no, certainly. <laughs> I, I had an interview with them, and it was I wanted yeah. that job. Like, and it, I, it went well. No. <laughs> I uh, I went to there on that. They didn't. They didn't threaten to sue you, kid. Yeah, they did threaten to sue me, kid. <laughs> they. Uh, Sorry. Anyway. I, I went to college, and the very first day I was in college, I said I want to be the publicity the publicity head for this record label. And that was my dream. That was like why I went to college. Was and to that's, work a, that's an appropriate thing given the time that you were in college. That was yeah. appropriate, you know. In 2006, that was a cool job to have. <laughs> yeah. And when I no, graduated when I graduated, I went down for the jo- for that job interview that I had waited all these years to have and I I remember like I was so excited. I was like this is it. Like I'm going to get this job because it's the only job I have ever really wanted and I probably could have gotten it. And I went down and I did the interview and the man himself comes into the room, Mr. T, and we'll call him Mr. T. And he sits down and we have a conversation. And the whole time I'm like shaking because I'm like, this is the guy that has brought all of my oh, favorite yeah, bands totally. 
this is like I'm in the same room where like all of those bands signed their deal and like we're talking about me coming here and then I leave and he sends me the offer letter and it is less than $25,000 a year and he wants me to live in Chicago and I say I can't do that <laughs> because no. that's, it's just not going to happen at least the interview went well it went well unlike me you were it was kind of a train wreck. It, well, this is where my train wreck starts. So I email him back in a very nicely. This is all same day. So like I, I drove to Chicago. We do the interview in the morning, and then I drive back to Michigan. And I'm at home with my parents, and I get an email that has the offer. I tell them the offer. I sit down, and I crank out the numbers, like college loans, living in Chicago, all that jazz. And I'm like, I just can't make it happen. Going to have to work in a second job. I'm not going to do that. I'm not graduating so that I can have two jobs. <laughs> If, right. I, if, if I can help it. Right. And, and so I call, I email him and I say, you know, thank you so much for your time. It was great to meet you, but I can't make this number work. I could make this number work if it was this number, if it was like, you know, three or 4,000 more. But right now I can't, I just can't make it work. And I, I hate that because I've only ever wanted to work for your company, but I can't like put myself on the street in order to do that for you. And he wrote me back and told me I could do a lot of horrible things to myself and then threatened to sue me for wasting his time. Oh, wow. I don't know that there's a legal precedent for wasting someone's time, but I got it like seven emails. Hey, but you know what? If there's anybody who's going to try to make it, it's going to be him. Yeah, and so then for the next two years, any time that I put in a request at that record label for media credentials, I would get a letter back that says, Mr. T doesn't want to work with you. Because he doesn't believe you're a real person. I quote, he doesn't believe you're a real person. They had a staff meeting one day and he said, we're never going to work with this website again because the guy who runs it, that's not his real name. He's not a real person. That's wild. He, he got it into his head. That, and I mean, when was the last time they released a record that you wanted to work with? So. <laughs> it's true. It's funny how life works like that, right? I yeah, ha- no, I, that is... Yeah. Go ahead. I had friends working there at the time who had been like, oh man, he said it went really well. And then when I said no, they were like, oh, he is pissed. Like he came out and he was just like, why would you tell me to take that interview if he's just here to make me look like an idiot? I was like, whoa, that is not what I was doing. But it's one of those times, <laughs> it's one of those times where you're like, oh, well, at least that's not my boss now. Yeah, exactly. You're all, I think what you want, Mr. T. Yeah, Mr. T. I like calling him Mr. T. That's going to be my new name for him. There you go. <laughs> awesome. Um, I know that we're running out of time. You've got a life to start living soon. Oh, don't remind me. <laughs> um, but I'm so happy that you were able to find time to talk to us about your adventures in the industry today. Yeah, thank you. This has been fun. No, it's it's great, and I think you're somebody that I feel is getting the credit you deserve slowly but surely. But like, you're a great writer, Matthew, and you deserve to have more exposure. Well, so you. hopefully thank this you. hopefully this helps you get a little bit more fanfare for your work because like this Wayne Static thing has kind of pushed you out into the spotlight a little bit more because you were on it so fast, and it is like a trendy thing to be like connected to right now even though it's a depressing thing but like i hope deep down that it it pulls people into like you enough to be like i wonder what else this guy has done i hope so that'd be awesome (laughs) it would be (laughs) i I mean i don't know what else to say that would be that would be really cool i mean i yeah that would be great 
Um, fantastic. But I do thank you for doing this. Do you have any words of advice for people who may be listening and thinking about like you've you've done a lot of stuff in the industry. You're the editor of a popular website. You aren't making money yet, but you've gotten your name out there. You've been able to do almost everything you set your mind to in 2014. You you've been able to accomplish. So, what advice do you have for people to get to the level where you're at now? Just work hard. <laughs> no, I no. It, it really is. You know, like I thought that for so long in the industry, man. When I was younger and just fantasizing and worrying about, you know, am I gonna, be, am I gonna do this or that? Especially when I played in bands. You know, I thought that there was some like magic password that you had to have to like get a job in the industry and it's, it's just work hard you know and people will will see it you know work hard and, and master your craft whether your craft's promoting or publicizing or or do hard writing or whatever your craft might be just you know be the best that you can be at it I think that's great advice people man. will notice no they will yeah, I, I mean and don't don't try to piss anybody off, you know, pick your battles. That's always a big one. I feel like, you know, there's a lot of, you know, the industry is fueled by passionate people. So, you know, be humble, you know, always be humble. There's a lot I learned the hard way. So, Well, that's great, man. I thank you so much for coming on and taking time out. Before we go, I know you, you need to plug your Twitter, which I know is at calling home Matt, but people need to learn how to say your last name. There's a lot of letters. Lime cooler. It's like wine cooler with an L. It's like a lime flavored wine cooler. L I M E C O O L E R. Lime cooler. That's like how it's pronounced. Yep. I ask for others, and so that when I record the intro to the show, I'm not like Matthew Lemon Cooler. <laughs> I've known him for years, and yeah. I never learned how to say his name. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know how to say. Um, shout out to Dan former staffer i didn't know i still don't know how to say his last name bogosian bogosian yeah no I yeah understand. it's like baloney without an l <laughs> i don't know <laughs> uh well people can find you on twitter you're calling home matt i don't yep. even i don't even know why that's your twitter handle what does that stand for uh, that was that was the name of the last band i was in was calling home and uh, it just kind of stuck well it works yeah. well <laughs> Yeah, it just, you know, I thought about changing it, but it, it, you know, let's just leave it, see what happens. Is there a chance that that music will find its way online? I mean, I, I didn't even know you were in a band, and we haven't, you haven't shared this music with me or the rest of the world. Yeah, 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 I mean, you can check it out, sure, go for it. Uh, just search <laughs> songonband.bandcamp.com. It was fun. You know, I played in two bands. I played in a pop rock band that got a lot of notoriety where we were from. And then we broke up, and I played it in a little bit lesser-known band with about ten times better music. So, <laughs> so that's, that's how that works normally, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so yeah, don't don't go digging for the first band, but definitely check out Crawling Home. I guess. <laughs> I think there's probably there's probably I mean, it's been stalemate for a couple <laughs> years, but sure, go for it. There's probably a great editorial to be written about, like, being in a band and then making the transition into writing, and like, I don't know. I think there's probably something you could write about in there. Yeah, certainly. It just felt like the right thing to do because I just couldn't walk away and 
I don't want to booking shows as a pain in the butt, so why not just write instead? <laughs> Definitely. Well, I, I'm going to let you go. I know you have to get to work, and I have to keep working because I started early so that we could have this conversation. Um, but thank keep you fine. so much for talking to me today, Matt. I hope people check you out on Twitter. You're at Calling Home Matt. Do you have any other social networks or things you want to plug? Not just Twitter. Um, <laughs> talk, talk to me about music and baseball. Yes, yes. I'm sorry about your Royals. I apologize. <laughs> Oh, not a problem. I thought we'd be able to celebrate together, but you had a good season. You had a good run. Oh, man. It was fun. It was a lot of fun. The last game was hard fought. (laughs) Yeah. All right, man. Well, you have a great day at work. We'll get this podcast up today on Monday, November 3rd, I think it is. And we will go from there. Sounds good. Thank you very much. Have a great day, man. You too.